Uh, we're at Masechet Pesachim, uh, uh, Dafnun, and we plan to uh, complete the third Pedic and uh, begin the fourth Pedic. Uh, so uh, the topic we were just on is if someone has uh, some Hametz in their home and they left already, and now they're uh, on their way to do something else and they recognize, so for what amount of Hametz will they have to return back home? Uh, we saw different opinions. One said uh, Kabetza, one said Kezait. And similarly, if someone had some Kodesh meat that one ha- that has to be in Yerushalayim, not allowed to take it outside the walls of Jerusalem. If you did take it out by mistake, and you were, you know, uh, how much um, is, was the, is the minimal amount that you'd have to go back to burn it, or how much is less than that? Also, we saw Kezait and Kabesa. And now we have a third opinion, Tanya so he says that could be up to two egg uh, eggs worth. In other words, he's the most lenient. That's a larger amount than anyone. And only if you have that much, you have to go back. But less than that, you can just um, either burn it on the spot for Kodesh or Dubitul and say you don't care about it. All right. And now we're going to get we're going to close off the pedic with a section of agada, some really beautiful and interesting agadot, and they have to do with the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, because we just mentioned you ha- can't leave Jerusalem uh, with the with your food, um, with the kodesh food. So and you know what are the extent of the borders of Jerusalem? Um, and in the future times of Mashiach, the borders of Jerusalem will are going to grow. So that's how that's the connection. All right. There's a pasuk in Zechariah, Yud Dalid. You might remember this perek uh, because it's the haftarah that we say on Sukkot. Uh, this is where uh, all the nations are going to come uh, to Jerusalem on Sukkot. It's talking about different things that will happen in those times. And uh, says, so in the future time, uh, there will not be or light. Yekarot on difficult words to translate something like uh, maybe coldness, on is like fro- freezing. So something about the regular uh, cycle of nature is going to change. It will not be light, dark, light, dark, but it's going to be like all light or all dark or something like that. So the Talmud asks, So taking kipa'on is to be, yakar is significant to the opposite Kipa'on is something insignificant. So it says this is referring to odd, and our and at, right now, odd from the sunlight is very significant. We need it. Um, but in the Olam Haba, there's going to be so much light that the seven sun will be seven times brighter and the moon will be brighter. The sun will seem diminished as if it's nothing. In other words, things are going to be so much greater that the light that we have now will not seem significant. That's uh, interpretation number one. Second one, Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Elu negaim ve'aholot she'ekarin hen ba'olam hazeh u'kfuyin hen la'olam haba. This is referring to yakad in the sense of uh, weighty or significant because they're difficult. The subjects of negaim and aholot, all taharot, very difficult subjects, and people break their heads to figure out figure it out nowadays. But in the world to come, they were gonna they're gonna be kifuyin. They're gonna be easy to study. Uh, people will uh, get smarter, uh, or maybe will have a better uh, better technology to present it. So anyway, if you're studying the game now a lot and you have a hard time with it, don't feel bad. Even the rabbis of the Talmud also thought it was a difficult subject. So he takes a kind of an, as an opposite negative. It says people that are uh, considered important in this world uh, are going to be unimportant in the next world. In other words, uh, 
people who um, who receive honor just for being rich or famous or uh, or whatever and don't deserve it. Um, they are going to be. Uh, it could be uh, uh, people have bad character and yet are uh, honored are going to be uh, the opposite in the world to come. The world of truth and people will be judged for who they really are. This is a very interesting story about a near-death experience. Um, uh, Rav Yosef, the son of Rabbi Yosho ben Levi, who was the author of the statement, at uh, one time he got sick and he went unconscious. And Kihadar, when he came back out of his coma, uh, his father said, what did you see when you were in that near-death state? I saw a world upside down where uh, anything up above is below and, every, and whatever is now below is above. In other words, those who are honored uh, in this world will be dishonored in the next world and the opposite. Those who are humble, lowly uh, in this world are going to be honored in the next world. There's actually that is the true world, right? Where people are just really for their character and not for um, being haughty and proud. So now the father asks a question, and how about us? Where are we going to be, right? When we get there, he says, he says, the same place we are now, we will have the same uh, place there. In other words, the rabbis are respected here in this world, and they will continue to be respected in the next world. Okay, this is one of a number of similar stories of these kind of near-death experiences that uh, some psychologists study even today. And uh, this one, not so much, but other ones are described in very similar patterns as, uh, as what uh, psychologists study today as well. Okay, the shama, and anyway, the point is that in the times to come, either that like light in a physical way will be br- brighter or wisdom will be brighter or fairness will, and uh, honor will be uh, more true. And furthermore, in the next world, they said, praiseworthy is one who comes already having studied with they, they, they know their Talmud. Uh, so good to do that for me. Yes, while well, scholars will be honored there, all um, uh, those who are martyred by the gov- Roman government, um, that they will have the highest uh, place, the most honor in the world to come. Uh, so now we ask, Manni, who was talking about? He's talking about Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues, those who were martyred during the Bar Kokhba revolt by the Romans. Wait, are they only going to get a good place in Olam Abba because of their martyrdom? I mean, they're all, they were the greatest Torah scholars, so they deserve it anyway for their being Torah, Torah, for being Torah scholars. Rather, it's not referring to them. In the city of Lod, where the airport is now, uh, one time there was uh, some, uh, the, uh, the uh, Romans were coming looking for someone uh, who they thought uh, killed the king's daughter. And so these, uh, they said they were going to wipe out the whole city otherwise. So these two people, Papos and Lulianos, they admitted to the crime that they didn't do in order to save everyone else um, in the city. And so that was remembered as a great pious act, a great martyrdom that they did uh, for, for the benefit of everyone else. And so that's what the rabbis are talking about. Um, that even someone who's not such a great scholar, but is a martyr, also deserves a place with them.
Oh, good. And now the Zechariah continues and he says, al mesilot hasus kodesh la Hashem. This is fourteen twenty. The pasuk before was fourteen six. So this is a, this is all the way at the end of the pedic. This is like the second to last verse of the entire book of Zechariah. He says, in, no, in those times, in the future days, um, there will be uh, on the bells of the horses, bells uh, sometimes were decorated, sorry, horses were decorated with bells uh, sometimes here. Uh, that looks like it could be very annoying to have a bell right in front, in between your eyes. Like, where is it? Where is it? Um, uh, so these bells are going to be decorated and it's going to say, Kodesh Lahashem. Uh, in other words, like everything is going to become a higher state of holiness. So wondering, what does this mean? My mitzilot hasus, the first interpretation understands mitzilot not as bells, but as sel, shade. And it might be Yoshua ben Levi, that's the same sage we just had, who's, uh, whose son went into coma. That the wall, the God will extend the borders of, the, of Jerusalem. Uh, how far? As far as a horse can run in a morning, meaning from sunrise till noon, as long as it gives shade. How when does a uh, when does it give shade? Starting from sunrise is going to give shade. At noon, when the sun is directly above, it's not going to give. It not, doesn't give any shade. So as far as a horse can run, that's how large Yerushalayim is going to be. Um, I, I wonder, but uh, probably in 1967, this more or less came true. But we can measure. Rabbi El Azada Markol Metzilot Shetolin Lasus Ben Ainav Yihye Kodesh Lahashem. It takes more literally that all of the bells that are between the eyes of horses will be uh, uh, designated as sancti- sanctified to God. In other words, people are not going to uh, celebrate their horses just for their might or beauty or materialistic things, but they will use all their possessions for holy um, for holy things. But Rabbi Yochanan, these are all, all the same three sages we saw, saw before there, uh, continuing to interpret together. Uh, similar to the first opinion, um, that as far as a horse can run in the morning, but not referring to the borders of Yerushalayim, but rather when they go uh, and, uh, and conquer their enemies, uh, Jews will be able to uh, gather together the spoils as, as much as uh, a horse can run. All of the spoils within that area, they will be able to um, take and enrich themselves. Good. A question on these opinions. The continuation of that pasuk in Zechariah says that the pots in the Bet HaMikdash are going to be like the basins. In other words, usually the basins are holier objects. They're made out of gold or silver. Sirot are just made out of copper. Those are the uh, common bowls. So it says in those times, even the common bowls are going to be made out of gold and silver, uh, like the ones that are used in front of the Mizbeach. Okay. Good. So, uh, so what does that mean? So this, we understand what that this makes sense according to the last opinion that Bnei Sil are going to get all these spoils. So they have all this lots of gold and silver, and they'll be able to donate that, uh, and the Bet Hamikdash will be upgraded. But according to the other two opinions, that the walls of Jerusalem will be bigger, or that. The horses will be dec- decorated with bells of Kodesh Hashem. Then, what's the continuation about the pots uh, being upgraded to gold, golden pots? 
Milita, answered Milita Chariti Kamar. The rest of the Pasuk is talking about a different subject entirely. Uh, we, we talked about one thing, that the walls of Jerusalem. And now another thing is Mita Tere Israel, Mita Umaiti, that the Jewish uh, armies will be able to uh, become wealthy. And then they'll bring those as donations to the Beta Mikdash and they'll donate them uh, whatever they gain from uh, their, those wars. Okay, good. Another question. The one who said that the Jews will gain in spoils. Um, so this is the very last pasuk in Zechariah says there will no longer be a Canaanite, which we understand here to be a merchant. Why would they be? Why would there be merchants? In the Beit Hamikdash, well, people only are donating certain things, but let's say they need uh, some frankincense or whatever, that's something different. So you need a merchant that will go and be able to buy and sell, and acquire the things that the Beit Hamikdash needs. And so in those times, there won't be any need for such uh, these merchants. So it makes sense if the people acquired these spoils and donated them, then Beit Hamikdash has lots of uh, all, all the ingredients, everything that they need. Uh, but according to the other ones. Uh, they might still need this with these merchants. Kenani doesn't mean uh, what it looks like. It's actually an anagram of the word en kanani. There are no poor people. There will be no more poor people <coughs> in Jerusalem. And um, that's what kanani means. Okay, according to the first opinion that kanani meant merchant, since when does that mean? Does it mean merchant? It means a Canaanite, someone who lives in Canaan. I like how they're, they're bothered by the first one that it can mean the merchant. They're not bothered by the second one that it means there is no Ani here, right? Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, since when do we see that the word Kenani means a merchant? Well, from here, Yuda met a man, a Canaanite man, and went and married his daughter. Uh, that's the story of right? Yehuda. Uh, now, who did he marry? Can it be that Yehuda actually married a Canaanite woman? Look, Abraham went and told his servant, go, don't marry anyone from here. Go to Haran and find a wife for Yitzhak. Yitzhak says, don't marry anyone from here, and so on. Um, and so, and then Yehuda, you don't think that his parents told him, don't marry a Canaanite woman, that he would go and do this? So it can't be literally that he married a Canaanite. Well, it's not the Peshat, but he married the daughter of a merchant. Good. The Pasuk in Hosea says, Canaan has in his hands a, a, a scales of deceit. So who who holds who carries scales around merchants? Okay, I mean it could be that Canaanites were uh, a lot of them were merchants, um, but uh, so that's why it refers to them in, in that way. So here it, this gives a parallel between traders and Canaaneha. So there you see it's uh, the parallel means uh, it, it is talking about merchants. Good. And now we go back in Zechariah, back to Pasuk 9, a famous Pasuk. We say every day in Shacharit, So God, one day, will be the king over all the land. I mean, obviously, uh, God is in charge of all, all the world, but he's, he will be recognized by all people of the world as the king. And that day, um, God will be one and his name will be one. 
So I'm going to ask a good question. What do you mean? In the future times, God will be one. And now is God not one? He said, no, this world is not is different from the next world, at least in our perception. Uh, when something negative happens or positive happens, we say, right, blessed is God who does good, um, who is good and does good. And when we have uh, bad tidings, we say, blessed is the uh, true judge. Um, uh, but so we bless true, we bless God for either one. The point of the blessings are that we recognize that whatever we experience, whether we experience as good or bad, we still bless HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So this is actually a statement of monotheism. However, we still experience it from in two perspectives, right? We, we do distinguish between that which we um, is good for us and bad uh, for us. However, in the future, we will only see Atom Hametiv. We'll have a deeper understanding. Either everything will be good or um, we will appreciate the goodness that is, in fact, uh, that underlies uh, all that God does in the world. The rest of Basuk says, in God's name will be one. Well, what about now? Is God's name, is God's name now not one? Uh, so this world is not like the next world. Um, in this world, we write God's name, Yud Ke But we don't read it that way. We read it as Aleph Dalit Nun Yud, right? We read it Amonai every time. This is actually the most common Kiri Uchtiv. Most Kiriuchtivs in the Torah says it on the side, and you know, this is a Kiriuchtiv. But this one is so common, right, that uh, the scribes did not even bother to put on the side that it should be Aleph Dal Nun Yud. But in fact, the Nikudot on the word Yud Kevavke are the Nikudot for Aleph Dal Nun Yud, um, except where it's not. In the, this, the, today's parasha from Yirmiya Aleph, you had Hashem uh, Elokim, and Elokim was a Kiriuchtiv. Yud Kevavke with the Nikudot of Elokim, because you wouldn't say Amonai, Amonai twice in a row. Um, okay, so in this world, we we do. There is in fact two names. We read, we write God's name one way, and we read it a different way. In the future, we will go back and read God's name as it is, as it was originally pronounced, as the letters are pronounced. It will not be a Kiriuchtiv anymore. So Rava wanted said, oh, what a beautiful teaching. I would love to teach this in public and show, tell everybody. Here's the way that God's name was originally pronounced, and now we don't pronounce it this way anymore, and so on. The word, right, the pasuk from Shemot Peregimel, Parashat HaShavua, right, says, this is my name, Le'olam. Le'olam is written without a vav. So you could read it as if it's written uh, Le'alim. In other words, uh, keep it hidden. So no, the, the, this teaching should not be publicized. We're not going to go out in public and tell, explain to people that what God, how God's name is pronounced. Then they're going to go home and say, I wonder how God's name is pronounced. And they're going to try to read it 
um, the the, uh, the original way, and then they will violate this uh, this prohibition of not reading God's name. And so there's something that we keep to ourselves. Now, since you mentioned that pasuk, I have a question. The two halves of the pasuk seem to contradict each other. On the one hand, it says, this is my name uh, forever. Um, and then the other uh, pasuk says, this is zezichri. Uh, so, so this, this, the first half says, uh, that should be hidden, but Zezichri is the way everyone will mention it, which means it's public. So which one is it? You're right. So Shemi, uh, is going to be, um, hidden. Uh, so Shemi is the way it's written. The way it's written, you're right, is, uh, is, um, is, we don't read it the way it's written. That part is hidden. But Zichri, what is public, is the way we pronounce it as Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. Uh, so something really very interesting about uh, this change uh, that we don't pronounce God's name, I think has a, a, a lot of uh, layers. One is we, we uh, keep our distance. We recognize our humility. We can't we cannot understand God, and uh, therefore, by not even by having a name that we won't pronounce, it's a way of recognizing our limitations um, uh, in, 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 this, in, in this world. Um, Maybe uh, based on Parashat Shavua, the name of Hashem Yud Kevavke comes from Ehiyeh. God says, "I will be there. I I will be there to fulfill my promise to fulfill the Berit." Um, that's the origin of the name uh, Yud Kevavke is just a third person of Ehiyeh. Right? It's kind of like, God will be uh, there to pronounce uh, to 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 uh, to be a, a savior. So that now makes sense. Why in the meantime, while we were in exile and persecution, that name is hidden. Right? We don't know when the redemption will happen. So we recognize God as Adon as our master. Um, but when the redemption happens, then God's promise of the covenant, Yehiyeh, I will be there for you, will once again be understood and therefore be pronounceable. Hadan alach elu oberin. All right, that was a beautiful pedic with uh, so many uh, interesting, relevant topics, uh, laws of kashrut, ta'arobet. Um, we saw a lot about uh, staying away from ameha aretz. And, um, and now we begin another uh, uh, excellent uh, um, pedic, which is all about uh, customs, minhag. Um, so a little intro to that. Minhagim are such an interesting category of practice because unlike halakha, minhagim aren't quite as binding as a strict halakha. There's also a lot more of diversity of practice regarding their, their different communities. They have to develop in different minhagim. Now, but minhagim aren't just uh, aren't just fun things to do. It's not like, you know, I like eating this or you like eating that food, right? They do have a certain level of authority that you cannot simply change minhagim. Uh, so the authority is somewhere between uh, things that are uh, totally optional and things that are strictly halakha. So we're going to try to figure out what is the, uh, how do we navigate that in-between status of minhagim? And uh, I think the truth is that so much of our halachic practice is actually minhag. So minhag, uh, these customs are what really give all of our um, uh, Torah lifestyle its, its flavor and so much of its meaning. Okay, but because there is a lot of diversity that can lead to, um, to uh, uh, conflict, 
uh, when different communities come together. And this is especially relevant nowadays when communities from all every different country have gathered together in Israel or in America and wherever they are. And now all these different local customs uh, are different and you know, are living side by side. Okay, so that brings us to this Mishnah. Magom she makom she nagu la'asot melacha be'abe pesachim ad chasot, osin. Makom she nagu she lo la'asot, and osin. There were some places where there was a custom to, to do melacha on Erev Pesach before chasot. Now if it says before chasot, that implies that after chasot, you're not allowed to do work. And the reason for that is that was the time in the Bet HaMikdash when they would prepare Korban Pesach. So everybody's busy preparing Korban Pesach. Chag HaPesach is actually starts in the afternoon of the 14th. So it's already the beginning of the holiday. And therefore, you shouldn't be involved uh, going to the office, going to the field. You should be involved in Korban Pesach. And therefore, there's an absolute prohibition in the, from the, in the time of the Bet HaMikdash from doing work, going to work, on Erev Pesach. However, what about before the beginning, the morning of Pesach, before Hatzot? Some places people would do their do, do work, they finish up whatever they have to do in the office, and then they would come. But there are other places they have a custom that they do not do work. Uh, they're not going to go and work in the field. Um, the reason is because they want to prepare. When we say don't do work, I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't turn on the light, you know, all 39 melachot. It means you're not going to do regular making money work uh, because you want to be able to uh, bake masot, uh, you know, do all, you can do work, um, but the, the, these are things that are going to help to prepare for the holiday. Okay, also, especially because you're not going to do work like in the afternoon. So this is, you're going to start getting ready for that, not to uh, violate. Okay, so we have different customs. Different cities develop different customs regarding the morning. Now, what if you travel? In your place, you do work. But now you go to a place and no one else, no one does work. So now you're going to be going and, uh, uh, you know, whatever your, your job is um, and doing it there. And you're going to look out of place because you know, everybody is home uh, preparing. Or in your place where you come from, no, you don't do work. And now you're in a place where everybody does. Can you join them and do it? The answer is, We give stringencies, both of where you came from and where you go. So a traveler, if there's any difference between them, he cannot do work at all, right? If he's used to doing work and he's a place where they don't do work, then fit in with the crowd, don't stand out. Um, and that's the next line. Don't be different from everyone else. Don't deviate because then that's a, you're going to lead to dispute. You're going to lead to factionalism, right? Never knowing everybody else is doing this and you're doing something else. Um, it's, this would be less of a problem if you don't do work and you come to a place where they do and you're just not working. Is it going to stand out as much? Um, uh, in any case, if even in, even in that case, you should, may not do work. Um, but maybe just sit around and do nothing. You don't have to. It's like you have to work. Okay. So therefore, um, don't stand out. Don't be different from the crowd. Um, this principle applies also to shivirit. We're not talking about malacha, but rather eating fruit um, that grows on its own. During Shavit year, you can't plant anything. But let's say there's some grapes, and the grapes are just growing by, by, by themselves. That anyone's allowed to take 
uh, whatever's field it is, everything is hefker. So if you have some something like that, you can take some grapes home with you and then you can eat them and feed them to your animal as long as there are still grapes available in the field that are accessible to everyone. However, once there's no more grapes in the field, now you can't hoard uh, all these grapes for yourself. Uh, rather, and that, at that point, you have to go and put them back and let everyone take them. That's called biur. You have to get rid of them. So you're not allowed to, uh, to eat anything unless it's available uh, for everyone else as well. Now you go to a place uh, where it's gone. There's no more grapes. Um, and I go to a place where, oh, in this new uh, city, they have grapes there. So can I start eating? Because in my city, no one's, no one's allowed to, to have grapes because there's no more there. Can I go to this new city and then get over there or have it the other way around, right? If it's um, a place where um, the Shelokalu, there were grapes there, and I bring, I bring some from my city where there's lots of grapes available. I go to a place where there's no grapes available. Can I keep them in my house and eat them and feed them to my family and my animals there? because I'm from that place? The answer is no, you have to get rid of them no matter where, from here or there, you have to get rid of them. It's like, you know, can you go to Florida to get a vaccine even though you live here, right? So um, uh, they would answer, you have to be do the stringencies of both. Uh, the Biuda, however, says, He says, no, what do you mean? Uh, uh, so I traveled. You can also travel. It is available to anyone who wants to go and travel. I brought the grapes. You want grapes? Good. Go to that city and get them yourself. What's the big deal? So you want a vaccine? Go to New Jersey. Go to Florida. You can get one too. So what, why is it bad if I got one? Okay, so that's the Mishnah that says uh, the basic principle is to be stringent and not be, not be different from what everybody else is doing. All right, we'll get into more about that, but now specifically regarding Erev Pesach and doing work. Why does the Mishnah mention this rule regarding Erev Pesach specifically? Truth is that all throughout the year, any, any Erev Shabbat and Erev Yom Tov, one should refrain from doing work in the afternoon. So our question is from the words, Makom Shenagu, Ad Chatzot. Right, and then we're talking about the custom in the morning, and this assumes that after chatzot, you it's absolutely prohibited to do to do work. Um, well, the truth is, not only on Pesach uh, can you not do work uh, after chatzot, and uh, it's true in other uh, other cases also. So why not generalize to other cases? Well, how do we know that you can't do work um, all year round on Shabbat uh, afternoon? The Tanya. Anyone who does uh, does does their work, um, not in a way preparing, you could cook and all that, but you know, doing your your farming um, or office work on Ed of Shabbat or Ed of Yom Tov from Mincha. Mincha, we assume here is Mincha Gedolaf, and it was from 12:30 p.m. and and, and later. Will not see any blessing from that, right? Do you think I'm going to stay in the office late and make a few more sales uh, and then you come home uh, right before sunset? Uh, don't bother, right? That, that, uh, those extra sales aren't going to bring you any blessing. Okay, so that's the, so that's the question. Um, and so why don't we you know, say all year round about the, you don't have to say until Chatzot in our Mishnah. Okay. So one answer is there is a difference. Um, in that case, in the Braita, it's from 1230 and on. That's when there's a prohibition not to do work and to concentrate. However, our Mishnah said from Chatzot, because for Pesach, it's an, another half hour 
um, and that we add to the afternoon and which is prohibited. So that's why the Mishnah mentioned Atchatzot regarding Pesach. It's different for other holidays and Shabbat. Second answer, Second answer is that there regarding other holidays and Shabbat, it's true, you're not going to get a blessing. But just say, you say, oh, I don't care, I don't want to get a blessing, right? So it's a lower level. But we're not going to excommunicate the person for staying in work, right? We just uh, it in a strongly discouraged. But here, if on Pesach, it's an actual prohibition. If someone goes and they stay in their office, uh, uh, Friday, the, the afternoon of the 14th of Nisan, then we excommunicate the person. Okay, you see, uh, this assumes that when uh, people went against the halacha, they would be excommunicated. We can go and look at how many times people are actually excommunicated in the Talmud, but they had that, they had that uh, tool uh, in their back pocket. Okay, now that we mentioned this uh, not doing work, gufa, let's analyze it in more depth. There are other times in which also one is discouraged from doing work and you know, nothing, good, nothing good is going to come from that work. So we mentioned the afternoons of Shabbat and, uh, and Yom Tov and also Motzei Shabbat. Saturday night, like now, maybe we shouldn't be using our uh, electronics now. Um, it seems to be to referring to uh, Shabbat and while the people while the people are still in Bet Knesset and they didn't make Havdalah yet, right? Let's say they, usually they go over. You go over a few minutes. So if you're not in Bet Knesset or whatever, you shouldn't start doing Melacha. You should add add some time at, at the end of Shabbat, at the end of Yom Tov, at the end of Yom, Ki, Yom Kippur. Um, okay, so that's that's uh, that's for sure, um, and also or right? Even a, 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 even a hint of an avera, you know, if all of a sudden the second Shabbat's over and everybody's still praying or whatever, and you're already driving, it doesn't look right. Um, okay, also taanit board when there was a public fast. They would have uh, 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 some very serious public fast. They might um, prohibit melacha also. But for sure, this talking about during the prayers, they would add extra tachanunim um, whenever they wanted everybody to come to the public square and say the tachanunim. And therefore, they said no one's allowed to go to work so that everybody will come to do the tefillah. During that time, if you think I'm going to do work and I'm going to make some extra sales, don't bother because one will not see any blessing from that. Tenora banan. And now we get to some agadah that has to do with uh, with doing things um, uh, for the right reason. Tenora banan. Yesh zariz v'niskar. Yesh zariz v'nifsad. Sometimes someone is energetic and will and will get reward. Sometimes people are energetic, but they will lose out. Yesh shafel v'niskar. Yesh shafel v'nifsad. Some some people are lazy and they will get gain profit, and some people are lazy and they will lose. Uh, so what's the example of each? That is v'niskar, someone who's energetic and gets uh, and makes a profit. Shabbat here doesn't mean Saturday; it means all week long. This is someone who will work all say, all week long, but not on Friday afternoon. That person is energetic and because he stops for a Shabbat in the afternoon. That that way he will o- only profit. Someone is so energetic, he works all six days and Friday afternoon too. 
Well, he's, he's putting in all that work, but he's going to end up losing out because he won't say Baracha, not from any of his work. Sounds like even the first six days. Shafel v'nizkar, someone might be lazy, but still make a profit. How? He doesn't work all week, but he also doesn't work on Friday afternoon. It's true, he's just lazy and he never works, but still, we give him credit for not working on Shabbat, on Friday afternoon. Good. Shafel v'nifsad, la'abed kule shabbeta, la'abed b'mele shabbeta. This guy is really the stupidest. He doesn't work at all during the week, except for Friday afternoon. All of a sudden, he wakes up and starts uh, and starts making some sales. So that is going to totally lose out. That's the worst guy. Good. Okay, he's elaborating on the third category. Rabbi lived in Mehoza. Mehoza was a, uh, a suburb of the of Tesiphon, the Persian capital. So this was a very important cosmopolitan and rich city. So the women who were in Mehoza, they never worked a day in their lives. They were very pampered. So he says, even though they don't work. Um, uh, on the, on Friday afternoon, and they don't work because they never work because they're uh, they're so mifunakot. Um, they uh, right, they're they're so pampered. But they also don't work at all anytime during the week. Nevertheless, they are within the category of those who are lazy and yet can make a profit. Uh, right, so it's good that they don't go and do other work, and at least they are preparing for Shabbat. While we're talking about Rava, he brings two Pesukim together that seem to contradict. Both in Tehilim, one Pasuk says, God, your kindness is up to heaven. That's it, up to heaven, but that's it, there's a limit. And the other one says, it even goes above the heavens. So which one is it? When does some when someone does a good deed for its own sake, just because it's good, that is that person's reward will be uh, even above heaven. However, when someone does a mitzvah, uh, but only for an ulterior motive, he wants to get honor, he wants to get paid, then that's his, uh, this is still good. He does it. But that's shelo lishma. So therefore, that his uh, reward is limited. And this uh, is in accord with what I've said. Um, that the famous statement that you should always study Torah, even not for not for its own sake. Because even if you come with ulterior motives, eventually you will come to do it for good. So we don't tell a person who's uh, you know, going to donate something and wants his name and wants honor uh, that not to do it. Still a good thing. And hopefully by doing that more, they will, uh, they will come to do it. Right? We give kids candy, prizes to come to Kines. And we hope that when they grow up, uh, maybe they'll come to Kines even without getting candy. Okay, now since we've mentioned um, we're going to talk about some more business advice. Someone who doesn't go to work himself and he relies on his wife going to make money or he relies on a mill that he's going to, you know, let people use his mill and charge them rent. These are, these are not good business plans. He will not see blessing. What does it mean? Sechari matkulta. It means that she would be uh, uh, spinning 
uh, thread and she would you know sell this the, the uh, what 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 she spins and this is very hard work and uh, uh, it doesn't not not really scalable so and also uh, the mill you have a little hand mill and you go around hey you want to use my mill five cents yeah you're not going to get very far with that aval abdal mezabena ishtabochem ishtabach kakebakera dichtib sadin astavatim kord however if she does more productive labor and she uh, uh, sews clothing and then sells it then that's an eshet chayil right we say that she made and sold a cloak and so um, and uh, she's uh, praised uh, that person will do well. This, uh, my uh, wife's uh, grandmother and her sisters used to, uh, the beginning of their, of their family business was uh, they would be sewing in, the, in, their, in their house and then go and sell those uh, handkerchiefs and things. So this is true. Tenora banan. Hamistaker bekanim o bekankanim enoro esiman beracha leolam. Someone who's selling rods like to make a fence or jugs, you know, big jugs like they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in, will never see blessing. Why? My tama, kevendin afish afachazaitu shalta be'ayna. Because their volume is very big, everybody looks at them in a, in a jealous way and is, uh, scrutinizes them, right? In other words, uh, if a guy's going, selling this giant jar, everybody says, oh, look at that big jar you sold. You must be doing really well. Um, meanwhile, it's, uh, it's worth like 10 cents. So, you know, he's trying to make it up in volume, literally, right? Um, but uh, uh, it'd be, it's better to have a conspicuous business, a non-conspicuous business. Okay, rods also. He's selling these long rods, but they're they're cheap. Everybody thinks he's made, he's being uh, he's making a big deal. Tenora banan tagare simta o megadele behemadaka because the seila not tobot venotnin enehen behalek yafe. So people who sell their wares wares in the alleyway, right? They set up their lemonade stand in front of everybody's going back and forth, and so they draw people's attention, uh, neg- negative attention, and someone who raises little small animals, uh, especially around other people, because they go and they, they generally go and eat other people's grass. Uh, also, if someone makes their living out of cutting down beautiful trees, uh, that makes everybody upset. And uh, people who are stingy, they're always looking, you know, when they're sharing something to get the best portion for themselves. Uh, they will never get any gain from this these strategies because they make people wonder and astonishment and shame like ah oh, this this guy look uh, look how he makes his money he goes and kills trees uh, and um, and uh, he's stingy and all that and so when people get a bad reputation they're not going to be successful. Four pedutot, meaning four types of payment, four jobs uh, are never going to bring blessing to a person. Sechad kotvin, being a scribe. Sechad meturgemanin. Meturgemanin means translators, literally, but these are actually the human loudspeakers. When the rabbi knows that in ancient times would give a, a public lecture, not, uh, he didn't have a big voice. It was not considered respectful for him to go and have to shout. So he would say something quietly, and the Maturgeman would be the, the public speaker, making sure everybody in the back could hear. Uschad Yitomim, someone who takes care of uh, the uh, money of orphans while they're, while they're still minors uh, and get, makes investments for them. And someone who uh, makes money from uh, trading overseas. All these people uh, will not see Beracha. Why? 
Okay, when do these human loudspeakers work usually? On Shabbat. That's when the rabbi usually gives his derasha. So it looks like they are making their money for, uh, by working on Shabbat. Uh, it's true. They actually do, do uh, you know, they might work during the week also, uh, but mostly it's on Shabbat. So that's what it looks like. Uh, so, and you're not allowed to get paid for uh, something you do on, on Shabbat. That's why rabbis have to make sure to do, give some classes during the week. That way, right, we say that we're getting paid for our work during the week, and Shabbat is, uh, just uh, comes along with it for free. And to, uh, to take care of the money of orphans is very difficult because they're children. They can't just forego and say, oh, you know, you, did, you, you lost a little money or you took something. You know, usually business partners, we have a certain amount of leeway that will uh, let, let things go. But because they're children and they're orphans, so any little mistake you make, you're responsible for. So uh, this is, you know, very difficult to be, it's a great thing to do, but uh, making money from it uh, is not, uh, is not a, a blessing. And also, someone makes money from uh, importing and exporting. Uh, this is a miracle when a ship makes it from across the ocean and here, right? We can't rely on a miracle happening every day. So pirates and things sink and fall off. So uh, that, that's a difficult business. You know, it looks like you're going to make a lot of profit, but there's uh, so many ways that things can go wrong. Okay, um, so we understand those three. The one that we really wonder about, what would be a scribe. What's wrong? That seems like a, um, a good job. Amazing thing that the, the sages of the great assembly fasted 24 fasts and prayed that scribes, those who write the Sifre Torah, Tifilin, Mezuzot, should never become rich. Why? Why don't they want to become them to make money? If they become rich, they're all going to retire and they're not going to write Tefillin Mezuzot. And who's going to write the Tefillin Mezuzot? So we want them to stay poor and, uh, and uh, want business. And now we add even more people, people write, uh, who write uh, Stam. And uh, there are people that work with their merchants and the merchant merchants and those people that go and get the skins and the, the ink uh, and everyone along the, along the whole line. Um, uh, anyone who's doing work of heaven, including those who sell Tchelet for Sisit, will never see Barachah La'olam. So this is really curious because uh, they're saying, why should they stay poor so that they'll always stay working? Yeah, they're saying that on the one hand, but they're also saying, but don't, you won't see Barachah La'olam. Isn't that kind of discouraging people to go into that line of business? And the whole point of them is to want to have scribes that will make these things available. Okay, so I think the answer is this last line, Vimoskin Lishma if they are all if all of these people are doing it for the sake of heaven they're doing it because they love the mitzvah and they love writing then they will be able to see blessing so in other words you only can make a profit if you're not expecting to make a profit um so you should always people should always do things because they love to do it and then they get paid on the side uh then that is the that is a proper approach and not just doing it doing it only for the for the pay Okay, good. And now we'll just end with one last uh, story, going back to Minhagim. 
Bene Baishan, the people that lived in Bet She'an, the Nahug de la Havu Azlin Misol Sidan Bemale Shabeta. They had a custom that they would not travel. Um, from Sor to Sidan on Friday. Why? Because you shouldn't be traveling on Friday. You're going to go on a boat. You're going to go somewhere. You might not make, make it back in time. It's always difficult. You don't want to uh, plan a, uh, a, an airline trip on Friday. It gets delayed. And so that was their custom not to travel at all on Shabbat. However, they did that for a generation. However, the next generation, our father had the stringency. It's not a halacha, right? It's because it's close by. Um, uh, in fact, the Mishnah says you're not allowed to go on a uh, trip for uh, on a boat three days before Shabbat, except if you go to these cities, Sod and Sidan, that's allowed because it's close by. So uh, halachically, it's allowed. But their father made a, a stringency. He says he was able to do that because he didn't have to work. He worked uh, the other days. And he was able to make a living. We can't do that anymore. And then live Shailan, businesses change. We got to go in. That's the market day there. And we got to be able to trade. So can we, un- can we stop doing the custom, the stringent custom that our father had? He says, no, your father accepted upon himself. You have to follow the Musad, right? The teaching of your parents. And therefore, you have to continue this ancestral custom. And so you see the custom is not something that is, uh, you know, just uh, optional. Once uh, once a person, the family takes a community, takes upon themselves a certain practice, um, it becomes binding. And uh, that way we got back to the subject of Minhag. Baruch Adonai Lo'olam, Amen ve'Amen.